You're not going to cut the part where I was just going, I suck, I suck, I suck, are you? Uh, no, I was going to put that in like five That's going to be like the, the bumper. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Saturday night, Microphones of Madness, the most chaotic podcast on the internet. Uh, it is August the 20th, 2016, and if you're wondering well, this is about, it's because Kim hasn't had dinner yet. And, food. No, no, no. Eat. Uh, tonight we are going to be talking Balagun Ojitade's Beneath the Shining Jewel. A key conga novel, Sword and Soul and Horror. Uh, we're talking about that. But first, uh, friends of the show, if you run around in the Lovecraftian circles, you know Kat and Joe Pulver. Uh, they, they are having a bit of some financial difficulties. And I believe Kat set up a crowdfunding page. Uh, Go fund me. Steve's looking at a uh, GoFundMe page. GoFundMe. Oh, it's got a ridiculous freaking URL. All right. Well, it will be in the show notes. It will be in the show notes. So uh, check out the link in the description of the video and the podcast. Uh, and if you got a couple bucks to spare, please consider throwing some cash to uh, the Pulvers. And also, um, his book, uh, Shoot the Madness of Caligari is available for pre-order, so get your hands on that, and as well as the reprint of Nightmare's Disciple is coming out soon, so that'll help them out immensely as well. Caligari is going to be great. Caligari. If you've never uh, seen the movie you, of Cabinet of Cal that the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you need to see it. It is on Netflix. It is. It's on Netflix. Uh, yeah, that German expressionist style. I mean, if Man, you've never seen it before. Fun. Yeah, if you've never if you've never seen anything like that before, check it out. It's one of the classics of, of genre cinema. One of the classics of German expressionism. You know, and you'll see how it influenced modern filmmaking. Just within the first few scenes. So. Without further ado, Eat. we're going to be talking Balagan Ojitade and Beneath the Shining Jewel. And I'm going to kick it over to Steve because Kim started out last time. This is a, kind of a medium-length novel. Yeah, it's not that long. It's set, in, set of course, in the Kikonga universe. It is... Uh, Bit of a sequel to a, a name not remembered. Is that a was name that long forgotten? Name long forgotten. No. Yeah. My apologies. I was close. Oh. <laughs> I remember long forgotten. Long, long forgotten. forgotten sounds a little bit more nobler. Nobler. Well, yeah. Nobler. Whoever accused me of being noble, come on. All right, so. Yeah, I mean, what did what you think? I mean, I know you were really excited to, to I, I read this book. was totally not disappointed. <laughs> High praise from Steve. 
I bought this thing when I first heard about it when it came out, mm-hmm. and I I have like almost everybody I know. I have a pile of books that I'm trying to get through, and I keep adding to it. And my addition rate to the pile far outstrips my subtraction rate. So I read slower than I buy. Right. I think that is a common thing. So it, it's been sitting there, and we had the opportunity to, uh, to put it on the show. We had an opening, and we all liked the Kong anthology. So we got to read this. So finally got put to the top of the pile, and I was able to read it, and it was great. I actually couldn't put it down. Yeah, it was it was a, a, a enthralling read. I mean... Ojitade's characterizations are are phenomenal. I mean, these these characters, they just they they throw their throwing clubs right off the page and smack you in the face. Old farts. Yeah. Clubs. Um, Kim. Well, I should I should throw out the caveat that I'm still reading it. I have not made it through to the end yet, although I am awfully damn close. And because you know I'm a slow-ass reader, but yeah, this this was a page turner. It is it is a page turner for me. And I may have mentioned before that usually when I have something to read, I read it on my lunch break at work. This is one of those that, okay, I know I have like 10 seconds left. I'm getting up, I'm walking to the locker, and I'm still reading it while I'm walking. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It- you're right. I mean, it was it was it was page turner. It was a very engrossing book. Um, yeah, I read it while I was at the ocean this week, and it, I wasn't beach reading for me because you can't take your laptop on the beach. It's, it's ill advised. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's you just keep want to keep going, want to keep going, and follow these these characters and what they're doing, and overall. Uh, Balagun does a very good job of uh, building tension. Um, you know, there are a lot of, I would say, kind of familiar tropes, but they're played out so well. That he, mm-hmm. he is uses a lot of cinematic tropes. Yes, yes, it has a very cut series like cinematic feel. A lot of interesting jump cuts. Uh, there's a sequence yes. that we're going to point out later that's almost uh, right out of Usual Suspects. There's one right out of Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it, I mean, but it's not like, oh, it's here's the Usual Suspects. And you're like, oh my god, this is like Silence of the Lambs. You're really excited about it. Because right. it's not the kind of thing... Yes, you see it a lot in cinema, but it's hard to pull off in prose. Yes, yes. And he does it really well, and he does it so with the least amount of confusion. Right, and it's his, his prose, we've commented many times that his prose, prose style is is very much like an uh, oral storytelling. Yes. Um, and it, it flows very well. He, he has very good economy of word usage, so it's not like his passages are overly verbose. But you get a very vivid image mm-hmm. in very few words. 
But you are, you're there. Mm -hmm. He transports you there with, without an overabundance of adjectives. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Howie. Thank you. <laughs> Hey, shut oh. up. I like adjectives. Shut up. Now, nothing wrong with adjectives, but you know everything in moderation. But yeah, I mean, you you say you you know you you mentioned that 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 his this the the book itself is very uh, cinematic in style, and it, it from beginning to end, it's very cinematic. I mean, our first introduction to the main character of Umba is. I mean, you can almost hear like the strains of a sax solo in a noir movie as this character walks into the scene. And um, takes a drink. And takes a drink. I mean, what what we have in in general plot, what we have is we have a special police unit uh, in, that uh, investigated and dealt with a strain called Bacillus. Which effectively is a virus, but it's a virus from the cleave, and the cleave, of course, being the with without lack of better word, the, the not only the origin of all life in Kikanga, but it's also kind of the hell mouth. Yeah, it's, well. it's kind of like everything spewed out of the cleave. Mm -hmm. Good and bad. Right, mm -hmm. and um, there's a a group, the, the hunters, who keep keep that in check, and mm -hmm. uh, this virus made it out. Right, this virus made it out. Uh, it infects people and turns them into uh, flesh-eating madmen and women and children. Um, so, in, in in some respect, it's the viral zombie idea. In a but, way, but we find out but, later on that they they're not mindless. No, they're not. They're not mindless. Um, so that that trope is ignored. But yeah, it does. It's a communicable disease. You know, if you're bitten, chances are you will contract bacillus and transform into one of these creatures. Uh, there are three. Different types of manifestations of bacillus. Uh, there's a number of different varieties. Yeah. I think there were three main ones, though. There's, well, those are the Venama varieties. Venamas, yes. There's there different varieties of of things. Um, here we go. I have a quote. So, uh, Namas were just one form of bacillus manifestation. Others acted on impulses that ramped up paranoia to murderous extremes or threw people into repetitive frenzies of behavior that ended in heart attack or stroke. It was fear personified. So, but the ones that they're mainly dealing with are the Namas, because those are the dangerous ones. Right. Those are, those are the effectively the foot soldiers and probably the most common manifestation. Right. And you have, you have uh, three of those. You have the regular Namas. Mm -hmm. You have the soldier Namas. Uh, I have, hold on. No, no, no. You have the poachers. Yes. 
the poachers, the um, the alphas. That's it, the alphas. Right. Which are the leaders of the packs of Namaz. The Namaz are just the general foot soldiers, and the poachers are people who have pretty much everything under control except the urge to eat. Right, people. And, Kim, what do Namaz like to eat? Skin. It's not like brains or flesh. It's skin. Right. Namaz eat human skin. And they hold you down and they strip you alive. Mm-hmm. Mm, yummy. That's how they do it. And and there are a couple of sequences there. Uh, one of the other main characters, uh, Umba's cousin Jima, was was the victim of a Nama attack. Way and, back and when. Way back when. Like, I think it was 20 yes. years. Yeah, 20 yeah, so, years. So where this novel basically where it picks up is they dealt with this 20 years ago and they thought mm-hmm. they had it eradicated. Right. There's a new outbreak, and so they, they're putting together a new um, task force, and they want to have the survivors from the old task force come in to train. Correct. Which is where we get Mba and Jima, who were end up being the only two survivors. But. Right. Of a particularly nasty um, raid. Yeah. yeah. Now, these two characters... It kind of stood out. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because if anybody watches Monday Night Heroes and watches a game where both um, Rodney and I actually play, <laughs> that's our characters 20 years from whenever we were playing. <laughs> uh, Steve says his character is, is Umba and my character is Jima. And which is which is fine because Jima actually was one of my my particular my personal favorite character in the story. Uh, I would probably be Dummy. Dummy. <laughs> yeah, Dummy was cool too. I mean, everybody, all of these characters, all of these characters were significantly different. Uh, even bit players in the cast had their own personality quirks. Um, you know, even I, I liked Digger, even though Digger was not a major, major part of the the cast. Um, yeah, she was cool. And when we have all of these elements that we talked about across the Kikonga anthology, all making their way into this story, uh, we have the Oga Koi Koi making a return, the uh, giant sandworms. Yes. Yep. Um, Moving corpses, and which actually, course, in, in itself, is, is in itself is kind of horrifying because it tells you in the story that even though their bodies are dead, their minds are immortal, which mm-hmm. is why they can be controlled by telepaths and made to right. move. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're hollowed out and used as like, like kitchens right. and bathrooms. Yeah, and imagine your mind being alive and in, in in your body. All this is happening to your body, and your mind is alive in there. I mean, God. Yeah, and you're, and you know, they're, they're carving beds into your flesh. Uh-huh, and they're going to the bathroom side. inside of you, and probably feel like the planet. <laughs> God. 
you know, is oh god, he's he's puking again. <laughs> yeah, you probably feel like the Earth does with its infestation of humans. Oh come on, you guys have to have sex in there. <laughs> Ew. God. That's... That happened in the short story we we were introduced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, um, that's right. Also, the 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 two primary players in this in this plot, uh, Umba and and Jima, are the grandsons of Old Hunter. Right. Mm-hmm. And Old Hunter is in the Kikonga anthology, is one of the supreme badasses of Kikonga. He's the guy that keeps all the monsters in the cleave. That's right. Mm-hmm. With his, his axe that returns to him. Yeah, so, so yeah, they, they're putting together a yeah. Was that the axe that uh, the poacher was using? That was... Remember the poacher grabbed up right. the axe and went up the door? Was that... but I doubt it. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a very special axe. Yeah. Okay. Um, there, there are... I mean, he definitely grounds it firmly in the Kikonga setting. Absolutely, absolutely. And now the great thing about Kikanga is it is not um, a monolithic land. It's not a monolithic um, model of Africa. You have different peoples, different technology levels, mm-hmm. um, and strictly the technology levels in here are a little bit above what I was expecting, but they fit in. Right, right. It's it's passing it's passing mentions to certain pieces of technology. I wasn't expecting yeah, like ice limb, and, and dishwashers and. Right, you weren't expecting what, Steve? Limb grafting. Limb grafting. Yep. They all they had highly advanced medical technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, and it's a blend of science and magic. It isn't just all science. Right, There's, right. And uh, yeah, this this the city. The metropolis of uh, Satiba uh, is is pretty much is is a very diverse climate. It's very cosmopolitan. They they utilize uh, the strengths of all of the the nations of Kikanga. They you know, mm-hmm. they get magic from here, technology from here, you know, uh, soul martial arts from here. And it all exists in this one huge city. It's the cosmopolitan it's like, center of Kikanga. It's like they're New York. Yeah, kind of like a New York or a New Orleans or something like that. Um, yeah, Bossing so say. melting pot. Bossing say, uh, what, what is the other Republic one? Republic City. Republic City in Avatar. Um, that's actually Republic City is kind of like what I had going in my mind. That's what I was thinking as well. What it looked like. Um, so, yeah, we, we stumble across the, the off-camera, before the story begins, a body is discovered. And we pick up with Omba going to uh, the crime scene to investigate. And we're also introduced to, to Jima there. Uh, Jima being one of the survivors... Barely. Twenty years ago, barely, 
Uh, he was attacked by Nalmaz, and he was stripped of his own flesh, even though he somehow survives. Pretty much, right. almost all of his flesh. Right, and he, you know, he very he's a moody character. He's uh, he's dead. Pretty much every veteran you run across has been off on his own. Yeah, help has, him what he's doing. Yeah, he's as as Nick's character in in Harvest was say, the dark one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it's actually it's a good point that you bring up that he, not only did he survive, but he mm. did not turn. Right. Correct. He defied all the odds. Mm-hmm. And there are. At this point, you find out that there are people who have not turned, right. and and nobody knows why. There's no explanation why some people turn into namas, some people turn into poachers, some people turn into nothing, and go right. about their lives. And right. and with some people, it's so subtle that they can just appear normal, like uh, like we Uba's partners. Wife. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they have they have drugs that treat it. Um, there are apparently vaccines. Um, I believe, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, they they actually think that Bacillus is in everyone and everything. Yeah, he does make that point. Um, he tells this team that Bacillus is every, everyone has it basically, right? And they don't understand because they they've never been told that, right? It's apparently some state secret that it is latent inside everybody. Yeah, so is that ever explained though? Well, no. there's a, there's the thing is, as the reader, we don't we're not privy, and I, I love the fact that he that. Ojitade did this. We're not privy to all the information. Right. We only know what Mba and Jima know. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that that's the extent of our knowledge. So if they don't know it, we don't know it. Right. And there are people who are keeping information from them. Right. Right. There is a there is a layer of bureaucracy on top of these squads. Because pretty much these these squads are permitted uh, bag was it bag bash bag and burn bash bag and burn thank you their their mantra they they go in and they pretty much are allowed to kill with impunity if they even suspect you of being a normal they will kill you right. and bag you take samples and burn your shit to the ground. Burn it all. Yeah. Burn. And and these guys are, you know, that's that's what they do. They show up and they do this thing and then they go home. And it takes it takes a toll. I mean, we're we're introduced to Umba right away is is a heavy, heavy drinker. He shit me mm-hmm. when we first meet him. Yeah, he's already yeah. drunk. I mean, he's pretty much drunk through the whole thing almost. It's great because yeah. they call it frogging. Frogging, getting frogged, getting frogged, and yeah, I mean, which is actually a requirement for the lower constables and the teams, but not the captains, which is what Mba is. Right, Mba is a is a captain, as was Jima, 
And, yeah, the captains are not supposed to frog, but Umbob believes that it's better to frog with your men. And there is a, there's like kind of a wives' tale associated with it that being drunk all the time makes you somewhat immune to bacillus. But the reason we're given for them doing this is because you, you need to be drunk because you're going to be killing kids. Right. You know, you, friends, you just have neighbors. To, yeah, you have to just straight up merc people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's with, basically... Yeah, it's there's not even there's not even like hesitation. If you hesitate, you're dead. And, Which is something and, I never see in in zombie flicks or zombie shows. You never see that covered. You never see anyone discuss that or have a solution for that. Yeah. Here we got one. Uh, the closest thing you get in in a zombie flick is that's not your brother, man. You're, that's not your brother. It's just a meat sack. It's just a meat sack. It'll kill you. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. The Bacillus no, Squad. Don't shoot my mother. Bacillus Squad. Fuck that. Yeah, you you have to be. You have to be hard. You have to be hardcore to be in the Bacillus Squad. Period. Yeah. Burn it. You have to walk in. You have to walk in and just go, and burn it. Yeah, you're ready to go. And yeah, that's you know, that's kind of one of the interesting things about about this story is that it's not it's not normal people it's not your typical heroic types you know these guys are one you know considered by the government to be completely expendable mm-hmm. uh, two they are not people you you would look up to in any way mm-hmm. and but these are the guys that have to be the ones to take care of this stuff so, this is what you get. You get these guys. I mean, hell, they recruited a guy out of jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you get badass misanthropes. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, you... Well, you know, and you also get the wannabes who think they're hard. Right. The kids. You, right. You get a the few youngest. wannabes that think they're hard, but primarily all of the vets of the Vasilla squads are hardcore misanthropes. None of them have any real people skills. And none of them like each other. Yeah, they don't even like each other. I mean, Jima and Umba are cousins, and they can't stand each other. And there are reasons for that, because it's partially, it's actually not partially all Umba's fault that Jima is in the condition he's in now. Right. And, yeah, they, they hate each other. Um, so, yeah, this, they, they've, the authorities have tracked this, this recent Bacillus outbreak, uh, to a town on the outskirts. To the burbs. Yeah. And pretty much they've assembled this team, you know, under the auspices that, yeah, you guys are coming in and you're going to train them, but there is no actual training going on. It's like, here are your men Here's your mission, and they go on what uh, what's called a tiptoe, which is yeah, it's a, like recon. A, a quiet mission. You go through and you handle it handle it's it as quietly a, as possible. Special ops mission. Mm-hmm. It's like a black bag kind of mission. Seals. This is your Delta Green, the Delta Green part <laughs> of the, the story. Right. 
Shout to Green, key combo. And <laughs> of course, of course, as as any type of horror story where humanity actually takes an active role fighting back the darkness, everything goes to shit very quickly. Yeah, pretty much. And once everything starts going to shit, the rest of the book proceeds at a breakneck pace. But now, the, yeah, the, I mean, the, you're not even given a moment's rest during this whole thing. The thing that got me is during this whole breakneck pace, where people's lives are in danger, and you really have to have your shit packed tight. Right. The top brass of this mission weren't saying a goddamn thing. Nope. They were it actually felt to me that they were actually trying to hinder the progress of the mission. Mm-hmm. By they were not doing what their foot sol- the, the leaders of the foot soldiers who know the actual situation right. are recommending. Mm-hmm. That's true. That becomes important later on. I mean, hell, Jima, Jima himself is like a, an authority on the science behind it and procedure... And he just gets straight up ignored. Yep. So he yeah, goes I mean, off on his own. to fire him, and you know what? Mm-hmm. Screw these guys. Right. But and you it know, doesn't help that Umba loses one of his guys. No, Umba loses one of his guys. Uh, several guys go missing. Like, right. But the yeah, only like that. right within but, within their first foray into the town, and that's expected. Mm-hmm. Right, but I it's mean, but it's but that singled out to be punished for it. Right. right, because because it was one of his guys, and when they're you know uh, seen again after a couple of early incidents in the town, we don't want to give complete spoilers out because right. this is a great book and, and you really need to read it. Yeah, um, there's some disturbances yeah, here. That their their first incident in, within the town. Uh, one is is rather loud for what they're trying to do, and two, they are completely fucking wasted when their superiors find them again, because it's like, look, guys, bar hopping. Here's you know your first. Do? Here's your first. This was your first kill. This is the job, and and, and I'll, here I will you go. This helps. The first kill was like the worst thing that could possibly happen on a first kill. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not really a spoiler, so I will say it. Basically, yeah. it had to kill a busload of children. Pretty yeah. Much. Yeah. Here's your trigger warning right now. He is not afraid to kill children. Without hesitation. In his story, right? Um. So now yeah. they weren't. They were namas. They, yeah, but yeah, they were child namas, and to have that be your first kill. Or even the first thing you come across during your mission? God. Yeah, because why, why are they not getting high? Yeah, toy, toy, and dummy were completely green. Yeah. You know, and and this was their their first encounter, and they had to they had to kill children. And no, I I am not a fan of marijuana, but you know these guys, I wouldn't have hesitated to to choke up after something like that. I do not smoke after that, that'd fuck you up even worse. You're drinking yeah. heavily. Yeah, drink yeah. heavily. Drink yeah, whatever, whatever you need to do. you got to do something after that. Yeah. Drink drink that honey wine. And yeah. Man. 
that that honey wine in Key Conga is some fucking food and shit. Now, dummy, it's a little aside. This is Rodney was talking about how everybody has their their quirks and their mm. personalities. Dummy was actually a latent um, carrier. Yes. Of mm. of Bacillus, and he wasn't any of the known types. But his urge, because basically what it does, it gives you like these, it's like having severe OCD. Mm -hmm. And he had to have sex. Right, he was a sex 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 maniac. (laughs) So they're in the bar, and he's talking up the bartender, and he turns his back for a second, and looks back, and they're going up the stairs. Now, now... Balogun's approach to the horror of this of this book um, starts off. You're dealing with it from inside of Umba's mind, right? And you get a lot of the the psychological effects. Umba is scarred. Jima is scarred physically and mentally as well. Um, well, Umba has has his own physical scars. Right. He. I mean, he led. A hard life. He's like completely. He's an old man with arthritis. Yep, he's got his back hurts. Yeah, I mean, he's oh, just he's, like he's obese too, which is another yeah, cool well, thing that I love about this. Ex football player who just got the crap kicked out of him for years and years and years, and had no medical plan. Right. Because basically, once you left, um, you you that was it. They gave you a, a small pension. Barely enough to live on, they tossed you aside. Mm-hmm. Yep. You weren't and, revered as a hero if you made it out the other side. Well, in, in in a lot of ways, you know, what do you do after that? Right. I mean, right. you know, he's basically, you know, it's like we were saying, you have to be hardcore. You know, Umba is is a stone killer. I mean, he he has no hesitation drawing his sword. He is fucking deadly with throwing clubs. I mean, he can he throws those things so hard, he takes people's heads off with them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you do? You don't right. go work down at the bakery. Right. And, and then also what do you do when everybody you know hates you because they blame you right. for the biggest disaster in the squad's history? Mm-hmm. Your other friend doesn't want to see you because you had an affair with his wife. Right. Who was also um, latent. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as much as you thought. Right. Now, it, it strikes me as I, I, I've forgotten that character's name because he was only in there briefly. Um, okay. You look it up. Uh, but they, they seem to actually have more or less a friendly relationship. It's just that, you know, he being also Montu. a veteran. Montu, thank mm. you. He being also a veteran of these uh, Bacilla squads knows that if Umba comes knocking on your door, There's it's only not one reason. Good. Yeah, yeah. And, right. and he was the, he was the, the uh, martial arts trainer. Right. Montu. He was like the baddest ass of the baddest ass. Right. He was, you know, where whereas, you know, Jima had the mind. Umba had the the skill with the sword and the throwing clubs, particularly. Monto was the uh, the martial arts master, and he was the monk. He was the monk of the party, 
And uh, they they mentioned that yeah, he he lost his sword in a couple of raids, and he just went straight to town, taking these things out with his bare hands. So it's like, once again, none of these guys are pushovers in the slightest. But yeah, even even he had his his problems. Uh, his wife, like you said, his wife was latent. Um, she started manifesting. Uh, they were stockpiling the medication that had been made illegal. Uh, so yeah, these guys were none of them were, uh, you know, good, kind-hearted uh, citizens. Now, Jima, on the other hand. You know, unlike unlike everybody else who were stone killers, Jima's concern was always for the innocents, making sure that n there were survivors. You know, if the Nawmaws got somebody, it was get in there, get them fast, and you know, pull out whoever you can. Which was his downfall. Which was his downfall, but it it was interesting in that he was the only character. Concerned with, you know, the civilian population with oh, and and his fellows and his fellows. I mean, sure. He 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 had the compassion. He had the concern, and you know, he ended up often getting ignored by protocol because the protocol requires you to be heartless. And um, that the other thing is that affects his characterization presently in the in the context of the book because. When you are that compassionate and that big-hearted, when that turns, you just become hateful. Mm -hmm. And the, the greater your capacity for love, the greater your capacity is going to be for hate. Right. And yeah. he is a spiteful son of a bitch in this mm -hmm. book. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I, you know, I, as I said, he's, he's, he's my favorite character. And I, I like the, the look. He was given. Oh, uh, that's gruesome. Uh, not just you know the fact that he had no skin, but the fact that you know he wore a long coat with a hood, and you know he just had to, and he broods, and it, it just was so eyelids. so he visual. No eyelids. <laughs> he had no eyelids and no lips, so everything he said was like hissed, and, and you know. And the only expression his face can wear is a scowl. Yeah, it's just like Rrr. he struck me as a Phantom of the Opera kind of character, actually. Yeah, but you know, and he he upsets people just by just by being in the room. You know, he wheels in with the wheelchair. He but he does have like metal braces on his arms and legs that let him walk. Uh, sometimes. Yeah, I think um, the only character that was hated more than him was Umba. Right, and that was mainly because Umba created him. Right, and Umba is and, and Umba's reputation obviously took a uh, plunge after the incident. Mm -hmm. Jima went in Umba's squad. Umba went in early on a raid. Right, and his squad got in trouble, and Jima went in to pull him out, but he had already managed to pull himself out. <laughs> right, and, and and Jima paid the price for it. Mm-hmm. Once again, concern for his fellows, concern for his family. So it was his fault, but it really wasn't, because all he really did was survive. Right. Uh, hell, 
they even they even mention that toward the the climax of the book is you yeah. know if things go go to shit stick with Umba he has a bad habit of surviving. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines from the, from the book. He has a bad habit of surviving. Yeah. Or name name one evil that wasn't born of the cleave. <laughs> Umba was born in Sadiba. <laughs> And I mean, yeah, and they do. They they piss on poor Umba. The whole book is everybody. You know, every time they turn around, they are they are either putting him down or trying to insult him or you know anything. But he's like one of the few guys who knows what's going on. He knows what's necessary, mm-hmm. and and willing to do what's necessary. I mean, there's there's the one scene where they have the uh, the shopkeeper who has turned, and the sheriff is there, and he's like, I don't believe any of this, and Umba just like forces himself into the crowd, grabs a dude, and shoves him up against the glass, and is like pressing his face against the glass, and he's like, take a good hard look, right. this is what you're dealing with. He's he's kind of got yeah. that that Clint Eastwood kind of attitude about him. Yeah. He's yeah. like a total he's like a total crusty asshole, but he knows what has to be done and can get it done. Mm-hmm. So that 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 kind of a yeah, that just that kind of a character just Yeah. And in 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 some ways he's 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 got kind of like you say the Clint Eastwood aspect. He's got kind of the Martin Riggs kind of thing going on because people do think he's crazy. Uh, and, yeah. and nobody wants to deal with him. Um, you know, he's... No, but it's like, you know, if you lived through something like that, you'd be a little off the off the clock, too. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, of course, but and Riggs and, and Eastwood, their characters are... I've always gone through the, the ring. Well, Riggs is a character, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean... The man with no name rolls into town and burns it to the ground after torturing everybody in town, not because he wants to, right? But because they put him through some shit. Mm-hmm. Yep, and of course, you know, the man with no name, based on Yojimbo, uh, right? Who does the same thing? Right. So, I mean, it's definitely it's it's a trope, but it's yeah. used really well on this. It's really yeah, well done. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I um, mean, to the extreme where, like, I liked Mbai as a character. Yeah. He's, he's probably my favorite character. But nobody in in the book did. Right, right. <laughs> nobody liked him, except for maybe the two rookies with stars in their eyes. Um, The his, the commander, the, the young lady who joined the squads, like, right at the end and never actually saw any real action. Right. Um, she was she was uh, Monto's student. Binta. Right. Was that Binta? Yes. Yes. It yeah. was. She was a she was a badass herself. Yes, she was. Yeah. But, now, but she was now she got was kind of caught in the middle of everything. Mm-hmm. Of, and of the intrigue and the reality. Right. Yeah, I she felt, ended I up being like the middleman. 
Yeah, I felt bad for her at the end. Because, like, throughout the whole thing, you're sitting there going, oh, come on, man, just let them do their thing. And then the end rolls around, and you're just like, oh, Jesus, man, I feel bad for her. <laughs> right, right. I mean, she's she's the one who, you know, tells the squad, if we get separated, stick with Umba. He motherfucker knows what he's doing. She has a grudging respect for him. Right, right. And she she's the only one who actually... She's hard on him. She's she's as hard on him as anybody else, but she also knows and values his experience, values his skill at the job, and gives him the space to do it, even though she has to, once he's done the job, she has to reprimand him. But it's almost kind of like a half-hearted reprimand. Right. Because, you know, she she res she respects the the skills. So yeah, I mean, even up to the end and the twist. You don't want to spoil that twist. No, I don't want to spoil that twist at all. The twist, man. We've been known to spoil stuff, but man, the end is so worth reading. You can't absolutely. I, I want to say it so much, but I cannot because it's so cool. It's done so well. The, it, there's there's stories that work like this that don't do it very well, and you feel cheated at the end because you have to go back and look at the clues that were presented to you mm -hmm. and go, okay, well, I okay, you dropped a name in the beginning, and right. that was that was that. Right. Well, there are, there are a couple of twists. Right, but but yeah. the twists here are laid out for you. Yeah. And all the pieces are there for you to put it together if you can. Right. And so, so it has that aspect as well as the mystery aspect. But, but it's not a mystery that plays you false. And right. there's a there's a including Sherlock Holmes. I'm sorry to say there are a lot of mystery stories that play you false at the end and make leaps of faith or use like some some random clue that was mentioned once and never talked about again. Or or never mentioned at all. Or never mentioned at all. Or right. Mm. Or like some cultural aspect. Oh yes, the Mormons, blah 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 blah. Right, right. But everything is there. Sign of the four. That was the sign of the four, right? Uh, perhaps. Anyway. It's, it's been a while since I've read a lot of the home stories. Alright, anyway. This does not play you false. And when the twist comes, it's like a light bulb goes off, and you go, that is so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned, you mentioned the, uh, the Silence of the Lambs moment. That was, that was a hell of a scene, the way that whole thing just played out. Because, yeah, it was. It was, you know, like I mentioned with, his, with Balogun's style, it's not overly verbose, but that scene was so vivid. That was great. I mean, all right. So you have you have Umba and Toy, right? Mm -hmm. Find the the secret room in this house where the where a poacher was operating from. Right. And it's like it's a a room not all that huge. It's a secret room, but it's really dark. Mm -hmm. So that so the edges of the room, the light fades out, and there's only one way in and out. Secret right. way. And while they're doing this, they start here. The Namas all go, eat. Eat. 
That, mm-hmm. That's their. That's how you it's know llamas are around. They go eat. They right. start hearing eat, and they're looking around. They can't see anything. The corners are dark, and it's just mounting and mounting and mounting. And then finally, one of them thinks, "Oh, wait a minute." Namaz must have one of the telepaths. <laughs> yep, it's it's literally in their head. And that was that was so well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kim's been reading while we've been discussing the early half. Yeah, and she got I just to, can't put this damn book down. <laughs> and she got to the revelation about Jima. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're not gonna surprise. No, nope. she's at the part where all the all the chickens are coming home to roost, and oh, it, yeah. it's awesome. Oh yeah, the, the 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 climax. It's freaking cool. Uh, the way he <laughs> the way he jumps between these characters because all of these characters end up separated in in classic almost uh, like aliens or something, and that that kind of reminded me of that too because they assembled the team, they went down into the the catacombs, right. And you know they're hunting, the hunting and the hunted, and, and the the places keep switching. Well, and and it's really cool because you can follow it all because the chapters are very short. Mm-hmm. So you have like two, two, three, four page chapters tops during this sequence. Right. Where where you're jumping around, but because they're such short chunks, keep yeah, it all, it's keep track of it all, and it doesn't jolt. It's there. The, it's so clean. The transitions between characters, and uh, not only that, but but when once everything starts, you know, they all start converging back into the same location. Um, you know that that's really smooth because a lot of times that when you're when you're dealing with multiple characters and they're all separate, and then you have to bring them back together after after a lot of action. Uh, or even during a lot of action, it, it's hard to do. It's awkward, but this, it's just smooth. Keeps pulling you along. And uh, that's one of the one of the great things about about this book is that everything is so it's just so smooth. Yes. It's just, it's, it's almost like gliding along on wet ice. You know, you start and you just, and it's. It's like once once Balagun has his hooks in you, you're you're done until you get to the end. Yep. You're and as good as turned. You're as good as turned. You know, you might as might as well be dining on the skin when you're done. Um, <laughs> eat. Eat. Um eat. one of the one of the other things is we, we I mentioned this in passing a little earlier, is how the horror builds across we start with it very psychologically you know dealing with it inside of Umba's mind inside Jima's mind um, you know just the, the 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 dread that oh no it's happening again yeah. and then and then we are we're like, oh, we held we were done the, with this we were wrong right and then we get get a brief encounter with some Namas you know that's their confirmation that it is happening again and then, then we get into the the town, and the people, the you know, the army guys and the sheriff or sheriff, you know, what's going on? No, this just no. You guys wiped this out. This is you know, this can't be happening again. 
Well, right, the, the propaganda mm. of the last 20 years was really effective. Yeah. We, mm. Even even people like Inba at the beginning couldn't believe that it was it was Bacillus again. Right. Exactly. And you know, I like I like how he refers to the uh, the stains on the ground as bloodbirds. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, and that's you. And you get a good uh, good image in your mind because you know, just a a person being held down and blood just skinned spattering alive. and skinned alive and blood spattering and it's just there's a there's a lot of gore. In the There's book, a lot of gore. so you know, if if gore is not your thing, yeah, I'm I'm gonna assume that if you're picking this book up, because we've said it's a horror novel, right? Yes, that you, you like horror novels, yeah. <laughs> and you know, gore is kind of part and parcel for the course, right? And he blends all of these types of horror together so well. There's psychological horror. There's mm-hmm. um, there's just there's monster horror. There's body horror, and it's it it. it oh shit! It, there's even a little Cosmo in there. Yeah. Clean. Right, right. With Bacillus being, you know, this darkness from beyond. So yeah, you have a you know a little bit of every type of horror mixed together, and it, it comes out as this this gumbo that is. It tastes so good on the tongue. Yeah, and and here's the thing. I want more. I want more of this book. I, I yeah, love the characters. Absolutely, absolutely. Um you know, so I know I know Balogun was, was wanting to watch because he was excited about us talking about his book. Um yeah, get get your ass in gear, man, and uh, get on that sequel. Yeah, or yeah. else <laughs> or else yeah. or else Steve is coming for you. That's yes. right. I'll because you're I'm a martial arts you. master, and I'm a guy who has a truckload of poison. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> the two of you together are a sword and soul novel yourself. That's true. <laughs> see, and now, I do want to say that one of the reasons why I brought up that the character, the main characters, remind me of our characters is because Kikanga is actually the setting for a role-playing game that is soon to be kickstarted. Correct. And I know that the Kikonga, the stuff in Kikonga is written with this in mind. So oh, you yeah. have a lot of, of uh, RPG elements in these stories. And, yes. and reading these stories makes me want to play in this environment. Because it's so cool. It is cool. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 got a, it, it it's one of the coolest things you know. When we read Kikonga, Kikonga was was cool as shit. Uh, you know, beneath shining jewel, this this book is cool as shit, and it just keeps building on this world that you know it's like oh my god, I I gotta be in here. <laughs> To a, to an extent, um, you know, but on the flip side as well, if you're not into role playing games, it's not like a lot of role playing fiction, um, where 
you know, like the Dungeons and Dragons fiction, which is pretty much just the, like that one story that we looked over in. Um, oh God! Yeah, I forgot is, already. Right, you know the Salvatore stuff and, and yeah. things like that, which is the uh, you know oh, the lore right. behind the world. I mean, well, there's that aspect of uh, Lorantha fiction, right? And and Dungeons and Dragons, Jesus Christ, go to Barnes and Nobles. Right, they have an entire show. Yeah. Um, and and I'd like to see I'd like to see Kikonga fiction, oh, like yeah, right man. up there, right yeah. up there, you know, occupying well, an entire section as well. So that's the other thing. It's, it's fresh. It is. It yes, is. It, it does have the action, and it does have some of the things, a lot of the things that you expect out of a, a sword and soul, sword and sorcery. Even fantasy. Even fantasy setting, yes. But it goes beyond that. Right. Right. I mean, is we've we've mentioned several tropes, you know, well used tropes, you know, throughout fan throughout film and and, and, and fiction. And Well, the fact yeah. that it's a trope shouldn't turn you off from it because the fact is there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing utterly new. There's always going to be something out there that will ring true with something you've already seen. True. But this is done extremely well. I yeah. couldn't put it down. I still can't put it down. It's in front of me right now. That's I, right. That's that's why Kim is so quiet. Me. She's, she's yeah. still reading. I'm still reading this fucking thing. Um, <laughs> she says but, fucking things most lovingly. Right. Yes, most lovingly. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people, but but when when people talk about tropes and, and conventions and things like that. It's it's difficult to take uh, particularly well used. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a genre of fiction. I mean, we discussed Robert E. Howard last week. hundred years old. Right. You wow. know, and pretty much, as you said, nothing new under the sun. Every variation's been done. But we come into this book, we hit the ground running, and it feels like you're reading these ideas, these scenarios for the first time. And it's it's more than just the setting, it's the skill of the writer. That to, that is true. Definitely. You can't really you can take the greatest setting in the world. Mm -hmm. And if the person doing the writing is a crappy writer like me. Right. You're just going to come up with formulate boring stories, right? That people don't want to read. Exactly. Or you're going to come up with pastiches mm -hmm. that a certain section of the population will read the shit out of, but you end up reading the same story over and over again. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And. Yeah, so you know, and there's always, you, there's always tools and tricks and stuff like that, but a lot of it is just your style, you know, your style and your your ability. And if you've got the chops, you can take, you know, the same cliches. You don't even have to spin them, but they feel like the first time you've read them, and and really, a, a beneath the shining jewel. Is one of those books that takes the tropes, that takes the cliches, 
and it really feels like you're reading them again for the first time. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say it's comparable to the Moorcock Revolution in the 60s. Where, nice. Well, I mean, he's taking what you've been reading for X number of years, mm-hmm. and he's making it fresh. That's what Moorcock did. Right. Um, I, I, you know, want to read more Sword and Soul, more Ojitabe's work. Just like I, when I was a kid, I wanted to read more Moorcock. Right. Because it was interesting. I like. I felt for the characters. I identified with them. I liked what was going on, and I liked the fact that they were. It was familiar enough. Mm-hmm. Um, from reading, you know, Sword and Sorcery and 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 The Hobbit and shit like that. It was familiar enough, but twisted enough, not like twisted, but, you know, askewed enough that it was interesting and fresh. And this is the same kind of thing. It's been another 40, 50, 60 years since that, and time we had a new revolution. Yep. And Sword and Soul, I think, is where it's at. It is for me. I think I think I'm discovering that it is for me too, because yeah, I mean, we did Robert like I said, we did Robert Howard last week, Red Nails, um, and it was like, oh yeah, you know, but you know, Robert Howard is the 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 path, the the well trodden path, right? And you know, you you read it again, or you know, and it's more like you're reading it from an academic perspective. Right. Well, and and when and with you... sword and soul, and with sword and soul, it's just like, you know, I mean, you were pumped to read this. Kim was pumped to read this. I was pumped to read this. Um, yeah, and you know, a lot and, of the responses on Twitter that I've been getting were like, "Oh, this is a great book." Yeah. You know, exactly. people are right. I don't know. <laughs> I, they're like friends of of Ojitade's and and Milton Davis's that are are tweeting in. I don't know them. They're like, these right. are great books, and they are. Yeah, when, absolutely. In, in 1935, if you read Red Nails, you were reading something cutting edge. Right. In 2016, that edge is way the fuck back there, and you have a whole new sword. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And it can only... It, well, it can only go up, because it could certainly go down and just stay flat, but... The mm-hmm. people who were on the edge could only push it to make it better. Right, right. And of course, we you know you can't you can't mention you know Milt and and Balagun, uh, you know, without mentioning uh, Saunders as well. Right, Charles Saunders. Charles Saunders being the godfather of Sword and Soul. Right. Well, he's the guy who decided that that black people can write this shit too. That's right. And well, I mean, he's not the guy who decided. Do it well. He's the guy who fucking went out and did it. Right. <laughs> and did it well. Right, who proved that it, it was done, it was done well. Right. And, and he had to self-publish. I don't think people were beating down his door. And I know Milt has talked on his blog about how hard it is because, you know, you, he, you have to create your own market, basically. Mm-hmm. So... I'm 
I'm sucked in. I'm part of the market now. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, you know, the 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 European, the Western European uh, fantasy setting is tired. I mean, it's it's done. Most of you know, Hyboria on and through even Moorcock and Dungeons and Dragons and Tolkien and all of this stuff. Europe has been done. I mean, it's it's done to death. And and you know, Saunders and Davis and and, and Ojitane are bringing us, and and many others yeah, are so bringing us into this into this fantastic Africa. One and can argue that Europe was done when Burroughs started writing Mars stories. Oh, uh, <laughs> but yeah. that's a whole different. That's a whole different. Yeah, that's a whole different ball of wax. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I think as far as as far as sword and sorcery goes. You know, as a broad genre, you know, Sword and Soul is is where it's at. I mean, that's this is you know, this is the new stuff. This is the cutting edge stuff. Um, and, and these are writers who are informed by what's come before, and they said, you know, let's let's do it from this perspective. And and you, what you're getting is is an output of just fantastic stuff. Right, and and, and it works. Mm-hmm. It works what they're doing. Um, I think because a um, Ojitade, Davis, Saunders all have respect for Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it goes beyond respect. Well, and, man. I mean, well, it's research, love. Yes. Okay. Love, but they they don't treat Africa the way say Howard treated Africa. Right. As this dark, mysterious place, right? It's not. It's not Howard's Africa. It's right. not. It's. Uh, it's not Haggard's Africa. Right. It's. It's. Something. It's, a, it's much Africa, greater. Yeah. Well, it's an Africa that's based more in historical fact mm-hmm. and pre-colonial Africa than, you know, we. With our Western education, as white people in America, have been led to believe what Africa is. Right. Exactly. And it's it's. It, oh, but the most important thing about it is that it is so much fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just. I don't know. There's there's a certain air about it. Uh, you know, even Conan, as as you know, exotic as Howard tried to make the world of Hyboria, You know, it's all kind of. I uh, you know to, to try to give it a a visual aspect. It's like you know Robert Howard's Hyboria is all like sepia tone. Well, Robert Howard's Hyboria is is like. Howard's ideal of these different places. Right. Apollonia's classical Rome and, you know, um, the Himalayas are colonial India and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's, it's, not, it's not a living, breathing place. Yeah. Exactly. There it is. There it is. Howard's, Howard's idea of history. And, right. You know, if and you read his letters, it's just his idea of history is fucked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But you know, 
it's also you know speaking speaking is just like a, a casual reader of it there's it's it, it it's old it, it you know Howard treated it as as old and dead when he was writing it mm-hmm. um, you know Kikonga as a, as a setting in comparison is vivid and vibrant and it's a very much alive um, you know think- you 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 know you see in your mind's eye, you know the greens, the blues, the, the you know the color of the earth, you know the the clothing these characters wear, um, you know, and there's just this, there's there's color, there's there's just life. It's 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 got a lot of vitality in it, whereas a lot of other sword and sorcery type of stuff is just kind of like, you know. Wanderer trotting upon a dead earth. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with Howard relied on stereotypes to populate mm. his world and to to get the reader involved. So when you when you talk about Stygia, you rely on the stereotype of the Egyptian. Right. Um, so he doesn't have to bother describing people because they're Stygian. And right. that it's like the static image in your mind. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ojitade is describing real people. Right. right. With real personalities. You don't have Stygians. Right. Umba could be your neighbor. Yeah. You, you don't have... It, it's, it's people aren't defined by where they're from, what their race is. They're defined by the char- their character, the, you know, the content of their personality. Right. What they what they do, what they have done, who they are. Exactly, and and, and that's what that differentiates a good a good story from a great story, right? Or you know, literature as opposed to pulp fiction. And beneath the shining jewel is a great story. And it's, I it's it's literature. It's not pulp. It's got pulp aspects, but it goes deeper than that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think that's that's three thumbs up. Five. Five. Kim's plus throwing a toe. Plus a toe. Oh, not the toes again. Smell a vision. Smell a vision. <laughs> we just lost 13 subscribers because of your toe. <laughs> and we gained 20 more. <laughs> so, yeah. They're all nomos and they want to flay it. Flay it. Yeah, they want to start your toes. Um, yeah, so we we highly recommend this book. Go out and uh, it's available through Amazon. I'll include the link in the the notes so you can pick it up for yourself. Uh, yeah, fantastic book, fantastic book, and mm-hmm. you know also be sure to go through and and check out Baladin's other work as well. Um, yeah, he's he writes in a variety of different um, genres. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Much like Howard. He's even got like an, an MMA novel. Really? Yeah. I have to check into that well, one. You might say that Balagon Ojitati might be a modern day Robert E. Howard who's probably less of a dick. Uh, one would hope so. From from what I've seen, from what I've seen in in various interactions online, Balagan Ochitade is a great human being. 
fantastic guy. And with a great sense of humor as well. It's true. He has to be to listen to this. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, we... We, uh... <laughs> we ripped into one of his stories. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Um, and he still talks to us, so, hey, what a champion. That's right. He thought it was funny. So. If you actually want to read more Ojitade and his general... Writings, he has a blog, chroniclesofharriet.com. Yep. Um, he's got a Facebook page, Afri- African with a K dot Marshall dot arts mm-hmm. on Facebook. And then his Tumblr is tumblr.com slash blog slash black speculative fiction. Nice. Absolutely. So yeah, then, be sure to be sure to then, check him most out. Most importantly, go to Amazon and pick up his books. Absolutely. Or, or I think you you might be able to buy them directly. So even better than Amazon if you can buy them direct from Balagon or his publisher. Right. I'm trying to find his publisher right now. I'm stalling. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna cut it off there. Uh, Roaring Lion Productions. There you go. Roaring <laughs> Lion Productions. Ro- Roaring Lions Productions. Oh, Lions, plural. Yes. Yeah. There you go. I don't so, suck. Bam. So, yeah, check out uh, check out Balagon Ojitade's work. Check out his blog, chroniclesofharriet.com. Uh, check out uh, Roaring Lions Productions. For, I'm sure they have fa- all kinds of fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, so that's that's about does it for us this week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll say yes, that again you. to cut out the rest. Uh, next week, we will be starting a read-through of Joe Culver's new anthology, uh, The Madness of Caligari. Dr. Caligari. Oh, Doc. There's, it says Doctor. Okay. Madness of Dr. Caligari. A Microphones of Madness exclusive. <laughs> I don't know if it's <laughs> exclusive, not. but it's definitely definitely an A-list anthology. So. Yes. Um, yeah, so we're going to do that next week, uh, Monday night, Monday Night Heroes. And uh, tune in for that, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Friday Fungi, 9 p.m. on Fridays, Eastern yep. Time. And we'll be back next week, Saturday night, Microphones of Madness, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Caligari. Till then, say eat. <laughs> eat. <laughs>